This lecture is brought to you by Knox Theological Seminary on iTunes U. Knox is a seminary in the tradition of the Reformation that exists to educate men and women to declare and demonstrate the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our prayer is that this teaching will be beneficial in your Christian life and ministry. What I want to turn to now is we're going to do just a brief overview of Luther's life. Um, we're going to go up to about 1517. We'll pause there, and then we'll look at the disputation against scholastic theology. And then we'll, after we finish that, it'll probably um, be getting close to time for lunch. Then we'll come back and do other things. Um, if there are any questions about Luther as we go on, just feel free to continue asking. Um, Luther was born in 1483 in a town called Eisleben. Um, and this is an interesting thing to note, is just that he was born there, and, spoiler alert, he would also die there, um, doing, doing the work of the church. You uh, said Eisleben? Eisleben. Yeah, uh, can you spell that? Yep. Um, this was an important part of the empire. It was close to a, a, a lot of copper mines, and Luther's father was a copper miner. Um, it's a guy who lived a very hard life, worked very hard to have what his family had. Um, he had very strict but loving parents who really took care of him and sent him to um, good schools. So he had um, good training growing up, and things were okay for him even though his home life was very sort of regimented. Um, about 1501, he entered university in a town called Erfurt. Um, it's interesting to note that his dad wanted him to study law. Um, being a pastor or an academic or a monk at that time was not looked upon favorably. <laughs> Um, because you were just this snooty person who thinks you know everything. Um, but being a lawyer was a good, reputable thing to do. You made good money. And for someone like Hans Luther, who had had to work so hard for his money, he wanted better things for his son. Um, Erfurt was a great university. And at that time, when Luther was there, it was especially um, the site of kind of a big debate between uh, Renaissance humanists who are all about going back to the text and the original languages and grammar and all of this, as well as the people who we know as the scholastics, who are all about um, synthesizing medieval philosophy and theology. Um, and this, I think, is interesting, is that later on Luther, sort of this huma humanist streak in him of really saying the biblical languages are important, the texts are important, grammar is important, we always have to be in it. But the bulk of Luther's education was really in this scholastic thought, um, which we'll, we'll come to in just a minute. Uh, Luther was a good student. He was especially esteemed for his ability to hold forth in debates and to uh, define and distinguish philosophical ideas well. I think it took him just over a year to graduate with his Bachelor of Arts, because he's a hard worker, man. Um, about three years later, he received his master's degree from the same place. Court, let me ask you a question. Yeah. Uh, okay, he was, he was competent in grammar and literature, but the other school of thought was, was you termed it, 
just a second ago. What was scholasticism? scholasticism. Yeah. Scholasticism. It's, okay. it's about sort of defining philosophical ideas and. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll come to that in a little bit. I'm going to explain sort of the background that he was taught. Um, while he was at Erfurt, he was a good student, um, but he was not always a cheery human being. Um, one of his best friends died while they were studying for their master's exams, and Luther himself almost died soon afterwards in this you know, famous story of the thunderstorm. Um, he gets caught out in the thunderstorm, and he thinks he's going to die. He prays to Saint Anne, who is the patron, patron, patron saint of minors, like his father. He says, if you get me out of this, I promise I will dedicate my life to God and become a monk. That is sort of the, that's the, yeah, that's the story. And he survived, um, and he did become a monk. Um, he was always concerned about the state of his soul. Um, you know, was he in good standing with God, because there was always this insecurity to life. And this was really brought home by the fact that his best friend had just died, and he had just experienced this event where he thought he was going to die. Um, so in the face of all that, he just threw himself at the church. Monasticism at that time was considered the most straightforward way to make sure that your soul was right with God. Um, if you are worried about that, just become a monk and you will be okay. Um, so Luther became part of a particularly strict order of Augustinian monks. Um, his life would have been highly regimented around study of scripture, um, praying the daily offices. I don't, don't know if you know about the, you have the seven times of daily prayer where you get through all of the Psalter in a week, I think. Um, it's, yeah, it's, it's rough. I go to retreats every now and then um, for this liturgical group, and we pray the offices of, of just morning and evening and one in the middle, and that's still a lot to do. Um, so this guy was constantly in prayer, constantly chanting and hearing the psalms, um, but there was a lot of time for introspection um, because the whole point of his order was, was to push towards loving God absolutely, Absolutely, and practicing perfect humility. Not just humility, but perfect humility. And you can see where once you set up these two um, goals, how that could be very troubling for a person who's already worried about how he's doing in life. Um, he did well at the monastery again, though, and he was put on track to become a teacher. I guess he always had this gift to talk and to keep things clear and to help out those around him. About two years later, he was ordained. And then 1508, he was sent to Wittenberg to join the faculty there. But he didn't stay very long because he had to go back to Erfurt to clear up some business and take care of things. Um, 1510 to 11, I'm trying only to bring out the things which I think will be important um, for what we're going to get to later. So we're skipping over a lot of stuff. But in 1510 to 11, he took this trip to Rome. It was actually a business trip. Um, I think what he was dealing with was called the, uh, the Observatants controversy. My, my knowledge of that event is kind of shaky. But the thing that happened there is it kind of turned into a pilgrimage for him. He went and saw all of the holy sites. 
he did all the things you're supposed to do in Rome. But it was a terrible trip for him because he was just utterly shocked by the immorality of the priests he met and of the bishops, people who were greedy and were bigger fornicators than the drunks he knew in Wittenberg and Erfurt. So that was sort of eye-opening and crushing for him at that time. Yes. When you said business trip, what, can you just unpack that a little bit? When, like business of the church? Or yes. Was, okay. Yeah, I mean, you know, he, he's sent from the monastery, from this important order, to go there and to help take care of this um, controversy that had arisen. Okay. Yeah. That had arisen there in Germany or had risen there in Rome? Well, it was, it was mostly in Rome. They were, they were trying to take care of it there, yeah. Um, so after he returned from Rome, it was just another year after that in 1512 that he graduated as a doctor of theology. And he took up his post at Wittenberg for good as a professor of theology. Um, he succeeded a guy named Johann von Staupitz. Um, Staupitz is, is a good name to remember. Staupitz had been Luther's confessor, so he knew Luther very well. He, um, he was the guy who had to deal with the 4 a.m. calls saying, I'm really concerned about the state of my soul right now. I need to confess to you. Um, so these guys went way back. They had a lot of dealings with each other, and Staupitz was actually the one who put Luther onto a new interpretation of Matthew 4.17. So instead of do penance, it's from Staupitz that he really started to think, what Jesus is saying is repent. And this means something different from what I've been taught that it means. So Staupitz is an important guy in, in Luther's history. Um, Luther began lecturing on the Bible at this time. Um, and at first, this really only aggravated his despair, what he called his, we're going to get real German in here, his Anfechtung. Um, and there are a lot of ways you can translate this, and we'll come to it again after lunch. Um, it's a sort of spiritual despair or um, a feeling of being attacked. Um, and for him, when he read the Bible, he wasn't getting comfort from it, but it was just aggravating his anfechtung. Um, and that's not a great place to be for a professor of the Bible, one who has to spend all of his time in it. Um, what were his first lectures? His, I mean, his really important lectures of this time were Psalms and Romans, but he also lectured on Hebrews, I think. Um, but the early Psalms lectures of 1513 to 1515, um, if you go back and read them now, it's not the Luther you know and love, but it is the Luther who's starting to work through these issues. He's starting to figure out a new way um, to read the Bible. A good example of that... Um, when Luther turned to the Psalms, he didn't understand how God dealt with our sin. Uh, you know, I know God as this person who judges me and who condemns me for my sin, but I don't know how sin can be dealt with. Uh, and one of uh, sort of a minor turning point for him was reading the cry of dereliction in Psalm 22. And he said, why is Christ experiencing this despair? Uh, why does Christ have anfechtung? You know, why is Christ feeling this thing that I feel when he is God and should not feel this? 
you start to see it's because Christ is bearing the sins of the world. And that sort of figuring out that maybe God is on my side um, would, would crack open the door a little bit and start to give him some light. Um, going on from there in 1515 to 16, he was lecturing on Romans. And there again, that commentary on Romans, uh, it's not the one you turn to if you want to know what Luther believed about Romans, um, the sort of reformational Luther. But there is, um, again, a lot of development happening there. You can see things are going around in his head, and he's figuring things out. He's uh, starting to develop this notion of promise and figuring out a new way to understand God's righteousness. And we'll, we'll come back to that in a little bit. Um, at this time, he's also acting as pastor and preacher of the Castle Church in Wittenberg. Um, so he's not just an academic even at this point. He's got his feet in both worlds. Um, I was able to take a trip to Wittenberg a few years ago, and my hotel was right across the lane from the, the Schlosskirche, the Castle Church. It's a magnificent place. If you, uh, I don't know, have any of you been to Wittenberg before? Okay, it's great. Yeah, it's 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 a, it's a wonderful, beautiful place. You get to see the doors where he supposedly nailed the ninety-five theses. That that was at that um, church, and that's where he is working and teaching people and hearing confession. Um, at this, you know, it's around this time when Luther is looking back on his life that he says this is where the breakthrough started to happen because I was reading Romans, I was in Paul, I was really putting things together. The only thing I would say to that is don't count out how important the Psalms were for Luther. Um, the Psalms for Luther were always um, just absurdly important. Um, you can find anything in the Psalms. Yeah, go ahead. Is there the scholarship, scholars that have, with regards to the Psalms and Luther's movement through them, who have given unique focus on that? Luther and the Psalms, you know, kind of idea? Um, you know, Obermann does some, um, and he's, he's one that particularly says, don't count out the Psalms in terms of Luther's development, which is often easy to do. Um, another person which you may have heard of is Oswald Bayer. Um, Can you write those names on the board? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. If you're looking for like a one, one book on Luther's theology to buy, this is probably it, um, in my humble opinion. Um, sorry, I'll come back to that in just a second. Who did I just say? Uh, Obermann. And that, his first name is Heiko. And then... Oswald Bayer. Sorry, I'm not used to writing on a board like this. It's going to get bad. Um, Bayer has a really important book on Luther's concept of promise. Um, and in and around the work on the Psalms, that those things started to come together. So It's all in German. I, I know, I think there, is, is there not translation of not partial. Promissio? Oh, man. I've only, I've only had to, I'm sorry, this sounds highfalutin. I've only had to look at the German before, so I'm not, I thought there was a translation. I think theology of Luther's way is excerpts from it. Right. Okay, that's, yeah. That's what it is. So that's the best shot. Some of that stuff. And unfortunately, theology of the Lutheran way is only part mm -hmm. of, because yeah. I, you know, when I was, when last time I was in Fort Lauderdale, John O said, hey, look at this. And he had 
the German copy of the larger work, um, which is a really nice thing to have because that's where you get Bayer discussing Bart and Calvin and all of these other things which he usually doesn't talk about that much. Um, so those are, those are probably the two guys that I would send you to first if you're looking for understanding. Might you feel called to translate some of the rest of that and come up with a critical edition for the world? You know, Jono and I have talked about this. Uh, so much work, though. <laughs> um, Would you mind passing that book around? Sure. I can just get my eyes on it. I appreciate that. Mm -hmm. So 15, 15, 15, 16, we get Romans. Um, he's also working as a preacher. And in 15, 16, he starts preaching against indulgences. Uh, he does three important sermons during this year on indulgences, which really start to break things open. These courses provide a glimpse into our academic programs. Knox students can take one-week or semester-length courses in person at our South Florida campus or choose to complete a degree entirely online. By bringing together academic excellence, a vibrant community of learning, and flexible scheduling, Knox offers today's students timeless truth through modern convenience. For more information about earning credit toward a master's degree, please visit our website at knoxseminary.edu.